Hey, I want to welcome you to a special bonus episode we have for our podcast today. This summer, our pastor did a special parenting series during our family summer seminar. We entitled it The Four Stages of Parenting. This is our third installment, and we're looking at the teen years of parenting, so we hope that you'll sit back and enjoy today's bonus content. congregation. And here's what he said. He said that the time in which, as he looked back over his congregation, saw many, many people saved, saw many people come into the church, which is a huge blessing. But what burdens a pastor's heart is to see people fall out over time. Uh, and it, it just is such, so heavy on your heart because you love your people so very much. And here's what he said. He said that he believed that the most Christian families fell out of church at the time where their children became teenagers. So good families then loved God, and they were faithfully serving the Lord, but they started to drift away when their teenagers started to push back and to resist and to kind of, kind of object or to fight to what it is that they were trying to do, uh, and they were trying to raise them as they always had in the Christian life. So they lose interest in church. The teenagers often can, and that can spread beyond that. I want to say that there's many churches that have very few young people at all, right? And it's just kind of a crisis in churches across the country. There's some, obviously, that have a lot. But they may say, as they become teenagers, they say church is boring. They don't care about us over there at the church. Or the preacher or the youth pastor is always getting on us, always correcting us about something, just riding us all the time. Why don't they just leave us alone? Uh, there's one complaint after another complaint, and then parents often then get back, uh, get back into church, uh, and I said this before in the very first message, that often parents get back into church because God gives them children, and they understand the responsibility about raising those children for the Lord. So many times they get into church because of their children, but... You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Whatever it is often that attracts people can be the very same reason why you lose them. And so you get them in many times when their children are little, but you also can lose them out as their children become teenagers. Or if not at that time, then you can lose families out as they become empty nesters because ultimately they were in church. Not to say they didn't love God, but they were in church because they realized how much their kids need it. And I want to say thank God for those that are faithful and keep serving the Lord through every phase of life. Amen? Not just through the stages of raising your children, but being faithful to the Lord through all the different stages of life. So here's what I want to say to us, and this is going to be kind of the theme that we're going to drill down on in this message as we look at it tonight, and that is this. I think there's two important things we need to learn. There's two important decisions that we need to arrive at when we are raising teenagers. One is, is that we're going to hold the line. We're not going to change. We're not going to uh, throw everything up in the air and change just because our kids now are become teenagers. Look at this statement, if you would. And it says that biblical beliefs that we have always held do not change just because my child becomes a teenager. Amen? And that's a really important thing for you to understand. Is truth truth? If it is, then truth doesn't change. Yet I want to say that many times we get pressed in that area and we uh, kind of get wore down over time. And uh, I call that, if you would, the Delilah syndrome. 
And so Samson played around with sin with her and said, tie me with ropes and new ropes and vines and that. And he messes around. And she pressed on him and cried and pressed on him and pressed on him and pressed on him. And finally he gave in and he told her what was the secret to his strength. She, of course, acted upon that just like she had acted upon everything before that. And Samson lost his strength. He lost his power with God. He lost the ministry that God had for him because over time he just got worn down. And I believe that that is kind of the, the, um, the, the scheme, if you would, or kind of the plan for many teenagers is I'm just going to wear my parents down until they throw up their hands and just give up. Then I'll be free, right? I'll be free to be able to live my life however I want to live it and not under the constraints of the Christian life or the Christian church. So one of the things is, is that we're going to hold the line. Then another thing is, listen to me now, we're going to purpose as much as in any other stage of parenting, we're going to purpose to say we are going to have fun in our home, fun with our family. We are going to have fun with our children. And it's just so important for you to do that. Listen to this statement now, and I think there's a great truth to this. Family tension gives a teen the excuse that they need to drift away from God. Now, I want to say then that this, this thing is so very important because as teens come up, as young people come up into their teen years, they start to experience a number of different things. When children, are, we've gone through the different stages, okay? So when children are preschoolers, pretty much their whole world is their family. Mom, dad, grandparents, immediate family. That's pretty much their whole entire world. As kids come into elementary age, and if they go into school in that, then they start really enjoying friendships and interactions with other young people. Now, as they come to teenagers, if you're not careful, that social life and the peer pressure becomes the most important thing to them, and they actually choose their friends over their parents as far as the daily decisions that they make. They decide that they want to please their friends to fit in with their friends more than with their family. And so what happens is, is that there starts to become a drift and there starts to become a wedge often that comes between the parents and their children as they come into this age because it's so very important for teenagers to be able to have this close relationship with their um, with their peers and with their friends. And so what happens now in the Christian home, See, and hopefully you'll follow this, what can often happen in a Christian home, all homes, but it can even happen in a Christian home, is that Christian parents love their kids very much and they are too lenient with their children when they are small. They laugh at and they overlook a lot of things, a lot of disobedience. They laugh at it. Nowadays, they video it, right? They pull out their video camera and they video all their disobedience and they put it up on Facebook and look what my child did today and they make a joke out of it, right? And so what happens very often is they're too lenient towards their children when their children are young. Then as their children grow, they become more self-centered and more disobedient. Then by the time that they become teenagers, the children, listen to the statement, the, ch the child that you loved too much to ever spank now becomes the child that you don't even like to be around right so then what happens at this stage is that there's a wedge that often can start to drive between mom dad and the teenager 
And what happens is, is it creates family what now? Tension. Say it with me. It creates what now? Family what? Tension. And oftentimes that family tension is all the teenager needs to use as an excuse to not want to be around their parents and not want to be around their family and to want to do their own thing. And what is blamed many times is the family tension. It's just not fun around here. You're always on me. The excuses they used towards the pastor and towards the youth pastor, they're using the very same excuse towards you. You're not fun, and you don't want me to have any fun, and you don't want to let me do anything that's fun. And all of this starts, unfortunately, to unravel, and it starts to spin out of control, okay? And so I know when I challenge this, and some of the things I'm going to teach, a lot of what I'm going to teach really deals with raising your children through the teenage years for families who have been more faithful in serving the Lord. And I understand that. And so I told you this before, probably in each of the two previous weeks I said this, is that I'm always concerned whenever you teach something and you kind of give a, a biblical challenge here that people very early on can just kind of bail out. That's not where we are. That's not something we can ever accomplish. That's just beyond anything that we're ever going to get to as our family. And I want to encourage you, just like I did the last two weeks, is please don't bail out on this, okay? Because whatever it is that you grasp and whatever it is that you get a hold of will help you and it will help your uh, young people to turn out better. Listen, I've done this thing long enough to see that there are young people who came into their teenage years who made life so miserable for their parents that they got to do whatever they wanted and they really hurt their future in a lot of significant ways and they're not happy about it now today. They're not happy about it now today. There are others that went forward through the teenage years and did relatively good. They still rebelled some, but they did relatively good. Now listen to this. There are other families where the teenagers started to push and started to rebel, but the parents prayed and they stayed faithful and they loved on those kids and did not allow for a wedge to come between them and their kids. And their kids still turned out to do very well. Amen? But you cannot allow this, this self-induced family tension. What's odd is the teenagers create a lot of the family tension and then turn around and use the family tension as the reason why they don't want to be around the family. It's like you caused this problem, amen? <coughs> oh, me? <laughs> but, but it's true nonetheless, amen? And so we want to jump into this thing just to see what it is that we can learn. So here's a thought, and I want you to fill this out in your, in your, uh, uh, your bulletin there. Most everything from this point on that appears up on the big screens here is something that you need to write to fill this in. Now, I know this may sound odd, it may sound funny, but hopefully we'll unravel this a little bit as we go forward. But I believe that when you come into the teenage years, there's two super important things. And that is that you want to hold the line and you want to intentionally have fun. You do not want to separate from your kids. You do not want to use this as, you don't, you don't want this to become a time where there is a wedge driven between you and your kids because it will hurt them significantly and it will hurt your relationship with them into young adulthood going forward from there. And so you do not want, you do not want the devil to drive a wedge between you and your children during the teenage years. Now, I spent a lot of time laying down that simple foundation, okay? But this is important. One of the main ways that the devil gets a victory with your kids is that he drives a wedge between you and them in the teenage years. 
about probably none of us have experienced any of that, right? So, so if your young, kids are younger, then it's possibly coming, amen? So now, here's what I want to do. Write this down if you would, and that is that you want to decide to continue. You want to decide to continue. Now in the teenage years is the time for you to continue in those things that you have learned, okay? Now, again, hopefully you'll be able to see some of these verses. Longer verses will have a little bit smaller print to it. But I want to read this to you now together just for sake of time to keep it moving. Some of the verses we'll show you on the screen. I want you to write them down, the references down uh, in your bulletin there so that you'll have it. But look what it says. It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, I believe that this verse starts in the teenage years and goes forward into young adulthood. So we said already that the, the preschool years is a time where you read the Bible with your kids and you sing songs with your kids and you make the Bible fun and you read the Bible and you pray with your kids and you just really connect with them in that way and it's really important. Now I said, and I knew that this was again one of the things that you would say is a bridge too far or some people would say is a bridge too far, but when they come into elementary years is the time where you start to lay down some doctrine foundation in their life. And all you need to do is read the Bible with them and spot and identify important Bible truths. Salvation, heaven, uh, obedience and disobedience, just to lay down a foundation for them to start to have more of an understanding from Bible truths. Now, as we come into teenage years, listen to the statement, it is time for them to start applying some of the things they've learned, right? So what you want is for them to continue on forward in those things that they've learned, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, there are some key people in their life that they've learned them from, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, but I want to promise you that in a Christian home, many of the truths that they are to continue on forward with at this stage of life are truths that they've learned from mom and dad. And so you'll see here a boy going uphill here, and he's actually stepping in the footprints of someone that has gone on before him. And that really is so much of what the Christian life is, is that we are just going forward in the footsteps of other Christians and godly people that have gone on before us. Now we're guided by God, in the word of God, God's leading us and guiding us, but listen to me now, God has placed you in your children's life so that you will help them to go in the right direction. Amen? So continue in the things knowing of whom thou hast learned them, okay? And so we want to uh, understand the importance of that. Now, just really quickly with these points, continue, continue. You need to continue in what you believe. What is it that you've learned and what is it that you believe? And I want to say, parents, that you will draw from this somewhat with your kids as they're teenagers. You'll say, look, we've learned this from the word of God. Look, we're supposed to please God in this way. And you remind them, you don't harp on them and all of that, but you remind them that this is a time in their life for them to start to apply some of the things that they've learned. What do we believe about the Christian life? Then also we continue in the why, the why you believe it. So it's important to know what. It's also important to know why, okay? Now, this is the part that snags us somewhat because we can wrestle with the why ourselves. Let me give to you a, a great clue of parenting. When you are parenting kids, it is not just the children that are learning, you are learning also. 
Amen? You never really know something until you come to the point that you are teaching it to somebody else. And parenting is the greatest model of teaching these truths to the next generation. So you'll be growing in it also. A lot of times the why is because we love God and we want to be pleasing to him. We want to honor God. We want to obey God in our life. Uh, I said this uh, years ago, and I haven't said it very much, but we really had one rule in our home as our kids were growing up, and that one rule was <laughs> that we would obey God, that we'd be pleasing to God. That was the one simple rule. Now, we realized that that wouldn't happen, and so there was a rule 1A, and that is that when you've done wrong or when you've sinned, you confess that is sin, and then you turn around and go back to rule one again, which is we just want to please God. Amen? And so that's the pattern that you teach them. And listen, don't teach them to obey just because you said so. Right? Now that's not bad in preschool years, but it wears real thin as your kids get older. Right? Uh, and so you don't want to do this whole thing because, you know, wear the t-shirt because I'm mommy and I said so. Because I said so. And what's more appropriate for us in parenting is because God said so. Amen? And that's a great challenge for both of us, not only for the children, but for us as a parent, is that we simply want to be pleasing to God. So we want to continue in what we have learned and believe. We want to continue in why we believe it. We want to continue in who, listen to the statement, who we are trying to please. Now, when kids are young, preschool kids, they want to please mommy and daddy. When they're elementary kids, they want to please mommy and daddy, but they also like to have fun with their friends, and they want to be liked by their friends. When they become a teenager, they're almost more concerned with pleasing their friends and not nearly as concerned about pleasing mom and daddy. But what needs to happen in all of this is that we need to focus everyone towards the central point of our lives. Who is it that we want to please? We want to please God. We want to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, I promise you, will help you with parenting when you do not command your own authority, but you point them towards God's authority and God's standard in their life, okay? Now, again, don't use it as a beating whip towards them or whatever. That's not what you're trying to do. But you want to teach them the principle that mom, dad, every one of the children, we want to please God. We want to be obedient to God. And then you want to continue in truth. And here's what I said already, truth is truth. Whether you have little children, if you have teenagers, if you have no children at all, truth is truth. And we need to choose to go in that direction of truth. Now, here's what we want to understand too, is that we need to then nail down some beliefs, okay? So this time as a teenager is a time to help them, to help them, to teach them and to help them to develop personal convictions. There's a lot of different things that you could list in this. And some of these things, again, relate to the Christian life itself, all right? And I understand that. And there's, there's so many different things that could be said in, um, you know, in any important subject, marriage, parenting, and all of that. But I think then that these things can be helpful to us. And so here's another verse that I want us to see. This is in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 1. This, I think, is important. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy, what now? Youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, listen, I have no pleasure in them. Listen, I'm not enjoying life anymore. Life is not good. And I want to say that if we allow for our kids to slip and to drift, 
off, away from God and into more self-centered living. When you were young, self-centered living seems like the thing to do. But as you get older, self-centered living makes you a lonely, bitter person. But the problem is, is that you have established this long pattern of being a self-centered person. And it is not easy to change after you have lived that way for decades in your life. But self-centeredness will make for old, bitter, angry people. And you won't enjoy life. Because you're not living it for God. And you're not living it for others. You're just concerned about yourself. So here's what we say. Youth deals with this matter of young men. For a Jew, they would have our mitzvah at 12 years old. As they would start into their teen years, what we would call their teen years, it started at the very beginning as a young man. And they were being mentored towards taking responsibilities in their life. So here's what it says. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Let's say for a moment then that this deals or starts specifically in the teen years. What we want to do is we want to teach our teenagers to love God, to be growing in the Lord, and really to be enjoying life, enjoying the Christian life. Now, if you do that with your young people, they're not very likely to get down the road and to say, I just have no pleasure in my days anymore. I have no pleasure in my life anymore. If they've learned that kind of a pattern in their life, they're going to be much more likely to be a happy, a joyous, and a victorious person. And so we want to learn those. So the teen years then of life uh, is when um, kids will uh, identify them. Uh, in these teen years of life is when kids will really start to identify hypocrisy in their parents. Now, there's reasons for that. One of the reasons why they identify hypocrisy in their parents is because any flaw that they can find in your character only gives to them more excuse to not need to do right themselves, right? And so they will have a magnifying glass on 100x when they're looking for problems in your life. They'll do that. And so you have to readjust them in that and teach them to not be more critical towards others than they would be towards themselves. You'd be a Pharisee if that's what happened, if you're more critical towards others than you were towards yourself. So here's some things, and I think that each one of these are in your bulletin, okay? So I want you to see this if you would now. So we talk about nailing down, just really nailing down some beliefs and what it is that we believe, okay? So let's look at this. And so here's some core beliefs that you want to really be establishing and you want for your young people to continue forward in these truths. And let me just say that if it's Bible doctrine, if it is the fundamental or foundation of the Christian life, everything really begins on the foundation of the Word of God. And so write this down to fill in this blank. But here's one of the things that you want to help them. You want to talk it out with them. You want to ask them some questions along the way. And, and listen to me now. This, is, this may seem crazy, but I want to promise you that many young people raised in church all their life come into their teenage years and start to doubt God and the word of God. They really wrestle with that. Why? Because they're coming out of an age where they just blindly and joyfully believe anything that their parents tell them. Now they're starting to develop some of their own beliefs and some of their own convictions. And here's, this may not seem, um, this may not seem 
reasonable to you to make this statement, but here's what I want to promise you. If your kids start to flounder on the truth of the word of God, they will start a fast track away from God and into the world. This is a very strong foundational thing. And you have to keep this belief very strong in their life as they come into the teenage years. So the Bible needs to be a very real part of your life. You need to still read it in the home. You need to talk about it in the home. You need to be practicing these biblical truths in the home. But you need to be really careful to hold on to this thing. John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word, thy word is truth, okay? So that's number one. Here's the next one then. Uh, is it right? Is it right to be faithful to church? Now listen, in a good Christian home, when your kids are young, for the most part, they just love to go to church, amen? It's exciting, it's fun. They love singing the songs. They love hearing the Bible story. They love being there with their other uh, friends and all of that. It's just fun and exciting for them. But as they come into their teenage years, you need to establish this thing with them that it is right, it's proper. God wants us to be faithful in church and we need to be faithful in church to obey the Lord. Now listen to me now. We are coming into an age. We're coming into an age where a younger generation that is growing up does not believe that there is a necessity to go to church. Now many of them think it's important to learn about God, but they do not believe that it's a necessity to go to church. There was in the post-World War II generation, everybody went to church because it was just the thing to do. But that's not where we are today, amen? And so it's going to take some real prayer and real intentionality to keep your kids in church and really excited about it. Now, this is a church where we have a lot of things going on for the teenagers, amen? Uh, and you wouldn't even believe this. I mean, we have the teen time where they're at right now with the Sunday school classes and all of that for them. But listen, many of these teenagers just love to go out soul winning. Amen? They just love it. Amen? Uh, it gives them, you know, something to do. They're excited about telling others about Christ and all that. So Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And that's a manner of bunches of people today. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So church is pleasing to God. Church is necessary in your life. Here's the next one, number three. Is it right then to tithe and give offerings? Now listen, the time to learn these things is not as you get into life and once you're financially established and once you're getting all of your bills paid, then maybe you'll start to give to the Lord at that point in your life. The time to learn to give to the Lord is when you're young. Younger than a teenager, but this is a time where they start to take real personal responsibility of honoring God with their tithes and with their offerings. You learn that then when you're a teenager. Because when you go on to the next stage of life, it is going to be really easy for you to try to shed off a responsibility. And as a young adult, what many young adults who are raised in church are going to do is they're going to find some things, some issues that trouble them about the church. And they're going to use that as an excuse to not give into the work of the Lord. Okay? Now here's the next one then. Uh, is it right then to do what? To reach the lost. Is it right to reach the lost? I told you that teenagers love to go so and you make sure that you expose them to that. Make sure that you get them around that. Listen, try to get them involved in soul winning. And I want to say that one of the things that you should do is to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice to be a part of a soul winning church. Amen? So we just had last week the soul winning marathon. And you heard some things about that and everything. 
But I want to promise you that one of the things that you ought to pray and thank God for and praise the Lord and rejoice in is to be a part of a church that takes the Great Commission very seriously. Because that also is a very unique thing today. Amen? There are many, many churches. It's like, we're going to have an outreach. We're going to have a Great Commission time. Well, what are you going to do? We're going to have a car wash. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but people get saved by hearing the gospel. Not by having their car washed by another loving Christian. Now, I'm not saying that that's not ever important. But I want to promise you this. You could love the fire of everybody you ever see. But if you never give them the gospel, no one will ever be saved. Amen? Loving the fire to somebody is a good thing, not a bad thing. Amen? It's kind of a southern statement. So, then, uh, to reach the lost. And now, is it right then? Is it right to serve God? Now, all of these are worded in this way. Is it right? Because... You have to understand that there are some questioning, there's establishing of beliefs that they're having in their life. And so what you must do then is approach it from a very reinforcing way, trying to reinforce these things in their life. Not just mandating or dictating to them, but really reinforcing it in their life. And so you want to be very reinforcing during this time in their life. And that is, is it right to serve God? I love what Joshua said, 24 and verse 15. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a blessing that is. Now, here's another one, and I, I think this is important. We need to see this. Because it's something that we'll wrestle with as young people. And as you go forward, it'll be something that will really snag them. Now, I'm going to say some specific things about this. But is it right then? Are Christians supposed to dress differently than the world? Now, let me just say that anyone who is desperately trying to fit in does not like to wear anything that looks different than the world or all of their friends around them. So when your kids come into their teenage years, there is going to be a great temptation for them to dress worldly and immodestly and, and wicked, let's just be honest, right? Where they just look half naked when they're dressed and when they're going out. You wear the jeans that are super, super tight, and they got holes in them, and you get them brand new that way. And they got holes creeping all the way up their leg, getting to scariness, amen? Uh, and this is just what happens, and we do it because we just want to fit in, amen? And, and it's so funny because this is what I figured out about teenagers. They say to mom and dad, I just want to be different. But I figured out over time what they really meant by that, and here's what they mean by that. I want to be different just like everybody else like me who's different. So they don't want to be different, they want to fit in. The problem is, is they're trying to fit in with the wrong crowd. Amen? And I want to say that if you don't get a hold of this when they're teenagers, then you're going to lose this. Amen? Now, again, I don't want to be offensive here, but I want to, want to be clear about this, okay? Um, when I make this statement, some are going to be offended. I don't mean to be offended about this, but somebody just said this uh, one time in passing, and I asked for clarification because I didn't understand it. And so they were talking about a situation or whatever, and they used a phrase, and they said, a Bernalillo grandmother. Now, they had heard that from a number of other people. I said, what's a Bernalillo grandmother? And they said, oh, about 30 years old. And so it just becomes a generational immodesty it becomes a generational problem and I want to promise you that if your girls dress like the world they will have 
the same consequences that the world is way too familiar with. Amen? And so it's your responsibility not just to give in on this, but to help them. We are supposed to be pure. We are supposed to be modest. We are supposed to look like a man and look like a lady. We are supposed to be pleasing to God. Now listen, you can say this old fashioned. You can shed that off in whatever way you want. But I want to promise you that just because you choose not to believe something doesn't mean that it changes the consequences of that choice. Just because you choose not to believe something doesn't mean that it changes the consequences of that choice. You get to choose the way you live. You do not get to choose the consequences that come because of the way you live. Amen? That's good preaching. Okay, is it right then to forgive others? Let me just say that this is a super common place where teenagers get snagged up at. Because they're looking for wedges. They're looking to create wedges. And especially the generation which we are in today is they love to magnify offenses. My dad would say to me, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, right? But they love to magnify offenses. And they love to hold on to those offenses and hold on to those offenses and hold on to those offenses. But we have to teach very young, is it right to forgive? We saw in Colossians 3 and verse number 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And I want to promise you that young people and teenagers who struggle with forgiveness will create many problems and difficulties for themselves down the road, right? They really will. So we need to guide them in this matter of forgiveness and teach them how to do it and how to do it properly. Here's the last one, and that is, is it right then to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Is it right to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Now, I want us to turn. You don't have to hold your place where we're at right now, but I want you, oops, that was not the right way. Here's the right way. I want you to turn, if you would, to the verse that's on the screen. So it's in 2 Chronicles, the Old Testament now, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles in chapter 34. You'll see now in this passage that we're going to talk about who? King Josiah. How old was King Josiah when he began to reign? Eight years old, right? And so we'll see this now in Josiah, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse number 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in 30 years, or 31 years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now I'm going to skim on this, but he said he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David his father, and he declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. And so he was eight years old, but he learned to love God and be obedient to the word of God and to serve God from eight years old. He didn't compromise to the one direction or the other direction. He just walked in a path that was pleasing to the Lord. Now it goes through and it tells about some of the amazing things that he did. He purged Judah and Jerusalem. He took out the high places, the carved images, all of the idolatry and the idol worship. He purged all of that out of the country. It's amazing. Now it comes then towards the end uh, of his life. And so we want to look at 26 then and 28. 7 and 28. So what happens is, is that God says then through a prophet that he was going to bring judgment upon Israel and that Israel is going to be judged. But he makes then this special promise then to Josiah because Josiah had really honored the Lord. So verse number 26, and it says, and as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so, say, so uh, shall ye say unto him, 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. You've heard about this judgment. Verse number 27. Because thine heart was what now? Tender. Because thine heart was tender, and that is humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. So he heard this evil report, and he fell down, and he humbled himself. He wept, and he prayed unto God. It says, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. And behold, I will gather to thee thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. And so they brought the word king, uh, brought the king word again. And so God just blessed and honored him in this way. Now let's just finish up, if we would, at the last part. And so we talk about holding the line. What that means is, is that truth, truth and the things that you have learned from the word of God and the things that your children have learned from the word of God, listen, those truths do not change just because your children become teenagers. Truth is truth and right is right. And so this was Josiah. He didn't go to the right hand or the left hand. He just kept serving God. And I want to promise you that there are many family members and there are many other close friends that didn't agree with Josiah in his desire to please the Lord. They didn't agree with that. But Josiah just did the right thing. And so I want to promise you now, when you come into the teenage years, you have got to hold the line with all of the things that you learn to be true from the word of God. But I want to promise you this also, and that is that you've got to have a great time with them. Amen? You've got to have a great time with them. And so just write this down if you would. You want to serve, serving God is exciting. Serving God is exciting. So it tells us back in our text again, Colossians 3, in verse number 16, it says, Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonish you psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Listen, this is a joy in the Lord. This is an excitement in the Lord. And so I want to promise you then that serving God is not boring, but serving God is exciting, exciting. So let me just encourage you as parents, pray. Get in the word of God. Find promises in the word of God. Pray and ask God to do it. Because here's what I want to promise you. Listen to this statement. Your teenagers need to see answered prayer more than at any other point in their life. They, listen to the statement. They need to see that God is real. Amen. They need to see that God is real. And they need to understand that. There's a real God who really loves us and who really answers prayer and really helps us. And so we need then to have this, this, this matter of being excited in the Christian life, seeing an answer to prayer in the Christian life, that God is real in the Christian life. Now you need to then also plan time to do things together as a family. You need to plan time to do things together as a family, all right? Listen to me now. You need to plan time to do things together as a family. Listen. When the boys were, were uh, teenagers and that, we would do some different things. Uh, I took them skiing, uh, and we would ski together with them. We would go on trips to go skiing with them. When they were still elementary age, I remember that my wife, and I'm just going to tell just a few stories because I want us to relate to this, okay? Um, so my wife said, as we were coming to the winter, said, we need to take the boys skiing this winter. 
And so we were just starting the church, and it was like, it was, it was slim pickings, amen, uh, while we were starting the church there and everything. And so I said to her, I said, we don't have the money to go skiing. It is so expensive. Uh, and just for myself and Jeremy and Mark to go skiing, it's so expensive. And she looked at me, and she said, I've been saving money for months. You need to take them to go skiing. And so we did. It was a lot of fun. I took them on the wrong hill to start with, and uh, as soon as they stood up, they would race down the hill. They would fall and slide, and they were crying, and they wanted to quit. And I said, you can't quit. We spent too much money for this. But by the end of the day, they were going up to the top and skiing down, and they were doing great. We went skiing two or three times that winter because my mother, because my mother, because their mother, because my wife had planned that ahead in order for that to happen. As I got a little bit older, we started scrounging free Lobo basketball tickets any place that we could. And we just had a great time with the Lobos were doing good at that time. And I remember one point where it was really tense in the game, and we were in some nice seats, and it was all the way up to the top. Uh, and we were standing up yelling and screaming and everything. And there was a super, super dignified ladies that were sitting right in front of us. And while I was cheering and screaming and everything, I was actually standing up on the back of their seat. Which was a problem in and of itself, but they had a really nice coat draped over the back of their seat. And I was standing on it. And she was like mad at me. And she wasn't paying attention to the game at all. She was looking at me and trying to get my attention. So the boys started trying to get my attention. They're like, Dad, this lady's mad at you. And so we stepped back. We just had a great time with that. Now listen, here's what I want you to understand. So listen to this. So Jeremy had gone off to college. Mark's off to college. So, so Jeremy's talking to me. He's off to college, and he said, Dad, the Lobos are doing great this year. It's towards the end of the season. How many games have you gone to? And I said, well, son, I haven't gone to any games at all. He's like, Dad, I thought you loved the Lobos. And then there was this long pause, and he said, wait a minute. You didn't love the Lobos. You just love doing things with us. You just love doing things with us. You just love doing things with us. Listen, as parents, we can be super selfish sometimes. We can be super selfish sometimes. And it takes dying to self and understanding the importance of the bigger picture to really be able to make a difference in the lives of our children. You just have to decide, we're going to do some things, we're going to have fun, we're going to make an investment in this. I'm not going to have, listen to this, I'm not going to have tons of hobbies myself personally that's constantly taking me away from the family, but I'm going to do things with the family and not things that constantly take me away from the family. Now, I, now I realize how ouchy that is, but let me just say you need it, amen? You, you need it. And so uh, I have for years loved to play golf. I'm terrible, you wouldn't know it if you saw me, that I actually love to play golf. But all the time that the kids were growing up, I had to look at this and say, am I going to spend this money to play golf or am I going to do something with the kids down the road? And I had to make some choices with that. And by the way, it was no sacrifice because I love doing things with them. Amen? But, but sometimes men are very selfish in the decisions that they make that is constantly benefiting them but leaving the family behind. So you bring the family with you, you don't leave them behind. Which brings us on to the next point as we're getting close to ending here. And that is that you serve God together. You serve God together. I want to say that not only were some of our most fun times was at basketball games cheering on the Lobos. But I want to say that some of the fun, many of the fun times that we had was just serving God together. Uh, I would be a bus captain working the bus. They would work on a bus with me. Uh, and we would just have a great time together. We would spend time together. We were going after the lost. We were seeing people saved. We were bringing people to church. And we were just serving God together because that's what you're supposed to do, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
And so obviously, of course, we serve God together with our family. That's what every Christian is supposed to do. So I didn't send my kids soul winning. I took them soul winning. I didn't send my kids to work on a bus. I took them to work on a bus. Amen? Man, it's quiet in here. Amen, preacher. We get used to like sending our kids off to activities, right? But I want to say there's some things that are right, not only for little kids, but for big kids too. Amen? It's just the right thing to do. And so we should then do that and serve God together. Look what the last part of that says, and rejoice in all the victories that God sends our way. It's really easy to get negative, and I want to say that negativity kills teenagers. It does. Negativity kills the spirit of teenagers. And so you need to rejoice because God has been so good and God has done so much for us. And we need to be able to rejoice with them because they can be negative enough all on their own. And they need for us to be rejoicing. Remember how they're trying to drive that wedge. And if you allow for yourself to get angered by their negativity, then that's going to increase family tensions, which is going to drive a greater wedge between you and your children. Amen? And the last one is this. You want to learn to enjoy the journey. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that we naturally know how to enjoy the journey, but I'm saying that we need to learn to enjoy the journey. You know, all of these things, listen, all these things come with a very high cost but very high stakes, okay? And that is that there's a lot here. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of really important things here. And next to our salvation and our personal walk with God, one of the very most important things that we do is training and raising the next generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this job to do, amen? And so, by the way, just saying enjoying the journey, aren't you thankful for our children's ministries? How many would say amen to that? Amen? Aren't you thankful for our children's ministries? As I'm up here teaching and some of you have fought, you know, just trying to keep your, ten, your kids focused all this time. And that, thank God for all those who work with our children. So listen, so we talk about teenagers and just the importance of this. Let me just summarize it this way to say that teenagers, sometimes not understanding the bigger picture, will, with some intentionality, create tensions to drive a wedge between you and them so that they ultimately can get freedom to do their own things. They want you, listen to me now, they want you to throw up your hands. They want you to step back. They want you to allow them the ability to do whatever types of things they want to do. But during this stage of life, they need a lot of uh, care and attention and guidance in this stage of life. Amen? So you can't pull your hands off. You can't let go of the steering wheel. It's just too important at this stage of life. Now, I taught this years and years ago, near, nearly 20 years ago. And during then, I had four stages that ended with teenagers. Why? Because my kids were teenagers, and I had not a clue about the next phase. Now, I hope that you won't fade out on this next phase, because I've learned over the years to understand that of all of these stages, and every one of them are important, but one of the most important stages of life is when kids start to go out on their own, and many times, parents become completely hands-off. Think about this, and I'll say this next week. In your young adult years, you make, for the most part, life's most important decisions. Amen? 
you make life's most important decisions at that stage of life. Let's pray for one. Let's ask God to help us.